Okay, welcome to Free Association, Technocratic Tyranny Blues. Uh, this is a new show, uh, whatever I decide to call it. I'm just going to take a look at the response to this mini budget that happened this morning. Quasi Kwartang, who's the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, has uh, announced some some tax things. Uh, stamp duty is one of the things that he's announced, and a reduction by a penny in the income tax rate from next April, I think. But I'm just going to play some of the response. It was a big, it was a big set of announcements for something that wasn't a budget. I think they were avoiding using the word budget because it involves a, a lot of uh, forecasting and, and analysis first. So, and they're making this up as they go along. So they can't afford to have analysis and statistics and forecasting. All right, so here we go. I'm just going to play a few clips from GB News. I think I'm saying I'm looking at all the sort of uh, footnotes as well. No announcement on fuel duty. No announcement on VAT on fuel either. Well, I, I'm uh, good morning. I'm absolutely sickened by this uh, budget at the moment, mini budget, whatever you want to call about it. One of the quickest ways to reduce the cost of living crisis is to reduce fuel duty. And that's what everyone understands. And I've spoken to Liz Truss. I spoke to Rishi Sunak in the leadership campaign and both agreed that's the sort of thing they could do. They didn't even mention it and they didn't even mention that they're actually keeping the 5p cut that Rishi Sunak put in place in the March spring statement either. This is a sickening thing and the, as usual, drivers are being used as cash cows rather than the solution to reducing the cost of living crisis. Is it though that they're looking at uh, the Brent crude price that's come down? Four core prices are starting to dip down. I think the average now is about one sixty-five a litre. Yes, you're absolutely right, but that's a ridiculously high price. We're still the highest in Europe. Uh, most of the European nations actually reduced the oil duty by double digits, and they got a reduction in inflation in August. Our inflation rate fell by 0.3 percent because pump prices fell by ten pence. So it's, it's a no-brainer to recognise that. Cutting fuel duty big will cut inflation big and help the economy and everything we buy will be cheaper and it will help the cost of living crisis. It's a no-brainer. Okay, Malcolm, let's bring you in because we had the energy packet as expected uh, and the figures uh, which we knew already. But of course, the, the whole question is how it's going to be paid for. And that's going to be dependent on this wholesale gas price, i.e. what the, the bill for the government will be at the end of it. Now, what's the situation on the wholesale market at the moment? Well, the prices remain high. They're a little bit off the peak as petrol prices are, as you mentioned. Crude oil prices are off the peak that they were two, three months ago. But, of course, there remains enormous political uncertainty, uh, and that has two effects. Firstly, it means we simply don't know what the future prices are, but it also means that markets tend to overreact. And so, at the moment, people will be playing it safe, and, and wholesale prices will be uh, high. We're looking at uh, increasing imports from the United States, fracked gas from the States, uh, possibly Saudi Arabia looking at maybe increasing its output. So there are possible things in the wind that may bring the wholesale gas price down for a while. But I don't think anybody will be gambling on wholesale prices returning to anything like their pre-crisis levels for some years, probably. 
What do you make of uh, the fracking debate? Uh, clearly, Jacob Rees-Mogg got a rough ride from his backbenchers in the Commons yesterday. Do you think it's likely to start? And if so, what's he going to provide us with? Well, that's the big question is we don't really know what the scope is in the UK. As a broad principle, it seems to me that if we can source uh, the natural gas that we need to use, for example, when the wind isn't blowing, so we need gas-powered stations to take over electricity production, quite apart from use of gas in our homes. We're still using vast amounts of gas and will be doing for the foreseeable future. And in principle, if we can source that from here rather than from imports, that's a good thing. Um, the states, of course, are where the fracking revolution has been most uh, stark, indeed dramatic. Uh, but the states have vast areas of land and a relatively friendly geology. Uh, the UK geology on average is rather more complex than that in the states. And of course, we're much more densely populated. So many areas where fracking might be possible, and Lancashire and Sussex are, are, are the most obvious, uh, there's going to be a lot of people very unhappy about it. Um, first of all, can I ask you, where are we with the various uh, discussions? Because, of course, one of your criticisms of Grant Shapps was that he wasn't actually engaging with you. What about the new Transport Secretary, Amory Trevelyan? Well, I've met with the new Secretary of State uh, yesterday. We had uh, a good conversation. Um, it makes a change to be, you know, discussing industry matters uh, with the most senior person in the department. That's a refreshing change. And that was a, a very uh, constructive and pleasant exchange. So it's not an outcome to that meeting because we still have to go back to the companies themselves, the two strands of negotiations of Network Rail and the train operators, but we put our points across. She made some points to me, which are all fair enough. We made a, a commitment to her that we are seeking a settlement to this dispute, and we asked her to, to play a positive role and to be a facilitator to try and defrost the situation, which, as you've pointed out, is uh, we haven't got a negotiated settlement available to us, so we need a bit of a thaw in the relationships, but also in the stances that the companies have been taken, because I think the previous incumbent grant chaps have locked the industry into some kind of spiral, which is very difficult for both parties to get out. So we're looking forward positively to, to future discussions. Right, because I think there was some confusion for the travelling public as to you know where the, the logjam was. Was it with the train operating companies or with the government? Well, there are two strands. There is Network Rail, which is half the people in the dispute, roughly, and the train operating companies, which is the staff that people see on most of their trains, the guards, the uh, uh, retail people, the people doing uh, dispatch at, at stations and so forth, and the drivers as well. And then there's the maintenance and infrastructure and signalers and operators of the railway who work for Network Rail. They've both got a very a tough agenda for any union to, to deal with about massive job cuts. We think there'll be cuts to safety standards and safety regimes. They want to change the way that our members are employed. They want to rip up our terms and conditions in a form of internal fire and rehire effectively, put them on new contracts of employment. And of course, we've got a pay issue. We've not had a pay deal uh, for most of our people for nearly three years now. Uh, so we've had an ongoing pay freeze in our industry. And we all know uh, what's happening with prices uh, and inflation. So that's a really difficult agenda to deal with. Um, and the companies want 
their pound of flesh, if I can put it that way, they want yeah. some very uh, some changes. So we've got to negotiate our way through on quite a complex agenda. Right. I mean, and as you know, you know, they will call those changes modernisation, as you've discussed, uh, no doubt, with them. Um, but talking about this thawing in relations, clearly not enough to call off the industrial action for October. But is there a danger it's going to refreeze, if I can put it that way, from what we heard from Kwasi Kwarteng about this um, point of putting all any votes to the whole membership under some new laws? Well, I'd like to think he knows what he's talking about, but you have to put the, any votes on a deal. I haven't seen the stuff. I've been in meetings all, all morning, but I've just seen some, some text releases about what might have been said. We normally put uh, complicated deals to our membership in referendum. We're a highly democratic organisation. We have to take a vote on uh, any, any industrial action that we're contemplating, and then the members decide what they want to do about that. And on this issue of the network rail and type train operating companies restructurings, if you want to call it that, modernisation as they're calling it, we will be putting those to a vote anyway. We don't need legislation. Our members will decide on that. And we've got disputes right now with other companies that are at referendum stage. It's a normal practice of the RMT to put uh, many deals, unless they're very straightforward, uh, to, to a referendum anyway. We don't need legislation. This is a government that says they're going to deregulate, but the only thing they want to regulate is the relationship of trade unions with their members. I find that ironic. Every time they're losing an argument, they, they want to change the laws in regards to unions. What I can tell you is the offers that we've had would, be, would have been rejected massively, eight, nine, ten to one, because they're totally inadequate. Right. But to you, the you will that know. This is the seventh growth plan from the government in a decade. Uh, this is, comes after 12 years of a government presiding over low growth, low investment, low productivity. Uh, it's a roll of the dice uh, by the Chancellor to try desperately uh, to get things to be different, but I think we all know they won't be. Uh, the Chancellor himself was demolishing the Conservatives' record in office, and now he's gambling with family finances across the country uh, to keep the Tory party happy. Labour itself, James, called that increase in national insurance when Rishi Sunak implemented it in April a tax on jobs. You've got what you wanted. Wouldn't it be grown-up politics to acknowledge that that aspect of what the Chancellor has done, at least, is good news? Well, when it comes to national insurance increase, you're absolutely right that we said right from the beginning a year ago that increasing national insurance on working people and businesses creating jobs was the wrong thing to do. So, of course, we're glad the government has finally come round to that. But across the piece, this is not a plan for growth. This is not a plan to do anything different than we've seen over the last 12 years of this Conservative government. And we're getting more of the same. also said that Labour supports wealth creation. So how would you do that, James? But we want to make sure that this country's economy can grow. And when I go and speak to businesses across the country, what they talk about is making Brexit work, investment in infrastructure, making sure that we have the skilled workforce that we need in the UK. There are all sorts of things which businesses across the country speak to me and my colleagues in the Shadow Treasury team about. We saw none of that from the government today. They don't have a plan for growth. This is more recycled ideas from the last 12 years. And that's 12 years of low growth, low productivity, low investment and a recipe for failure. Two of those ideas that people have been saying to you, this is what we would like Labour to do if they were in power. Just two of them. 
well, for example, the number one thing, make Brexit work uh, in terms of the agreement, Northern Ireland Protocol, and so on. The second thing that businesses talk about all the time to me is business rates. They say, say how the system of business rates is punitive, particularly on high streets and small businesses. That's why we have set up our plan to scrap the current system of business rates and replace it with a fairer system. We heard nothing about that today. At the last Labour conference, James, this time last year, Rachel Reeves did indeed make a major speech on business rates. I was very quick to give her credit, both on GB News and in my Telegraph columns. I also, I just wanted to ask you, though, as Financial Secretary to the Treasury on the shadow front bench, what your thoughts are on the currency. In the Just before we came on air, Alistair and I were looking at the currency markets. The pound's down over a percent since the Chancellor stood up in the House of Commons. It's now below $1.00. 11. How concerned are you that there's too much borrowing here, too much spending, uh, and that the pound could get weaker? I think it's very concerning. And I think what you're seeing is the markets issuing their verdict on what the Chancellor has said uh, straight away. Now, we've been pushing the government, for instance, over the energy price cap. Uh, to make sure that some of that is funded through a windfall tax on oil and gas giants' excess profits. But what the government have decided to do today, and what the Chancellor confirmed, he was going to do all of the cost of help with home energy bills onto borrowing. So that would increase the borrowing, put the cost of that onto current and future taxpayers, uh, rather than getting money from a windfall tax on the excess profits of oil and gas giants. There's a different way to do this, which we set out, and the markets are issuing their verdict on the government's approach. Thank you, Mark. This was no mini-budget. It was a big, meaty package, and there was some soaring rhetoric, soaring rhetoric too from Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. There are too many barriers for enterprise, the Chancellor said. We are turning a vicious cycle of stagnation into a virtuous cycle of growth. Well, how does he and the rest of the government team propose to do that? First up in today's statement, and he stressed we needed to do this first, is confirming that household energy price cap, capping the unit cost of both gas and electricity so that average household will pay this year no more than £2,500 for average families that helped last for two years. On top of that, the Chancellor confirmed there's £400 grant for all families and another £650 for particularly vulnerable families. A huge package of measures which the Chancellor said would cost around £60 billion rather than the hundreds of billions that some have speculated. It wasn't just households, there was also an energy support package for business. This is what we heard about earlier this week. That lasts only six months, controversially, though the help will be equivalent to that for households in terms of a capped unit cost. You still pay more if you use more energy, but the unit cost is capped and that is for businesses, charities, and indeed the public sector, so NHS, hospitals, and state schools as well. Then there was the reversal of Rishi Sunak's measures. April's 1.25% rise in national insurance contributions, NICs as we recall them, reversed from November the 6th, said the Chancellor. That's worth around £330 to the average household, and those NIC reversals, they also apply to businesses. Another reversal of Rishi Sunak on corporation tax. 
So important, corporation tax to businesses, particularly small businesses, paying corporation tax really messes with their cash flow. It won't go to 25% next year, as was legislated by the former chancellor. It will be frozen at 19%. Then some good news for those youngsters trying to get on the housing ladder and everybody trying to buy their own home. Stamp duty on domestic property, nil band is to double. That's the rate at which you don't pay council tax. You pay no stamp duty. You pay no stamp duty on the first 125,000 pounds of any house purchase. That has now doubled to £250,000. And many people will say it's about time because that £125,000 nil band threshold was set in March 2006. And since then, of course, house prices have got a lot. So people, many, many more people are paying a lot more stamp duty. And then there was particular help on stamp duty for first time buyers. First-time buyers, they don't pay stamp duty on any purchase up to £300,000. That's now going to go up to £425,000. And the valuation limit, that's the amount that first-time buyers are allowed to spend on their first home to benefit from that nil band, goes up from half a million pounds, 500000 there, to 625000 And the Chancellor was determined to say these changes to stamp duty are permanent He's trying not to spark a, a, a rush, a frenzy on the housing market, jacking prices up more as people try and take advantage of this stamp duty holiday. This is not a, a holiday, according to the Chancellor. This is a permanent change. And then the mighty rabbit out of the hat. This is thumper out of Watership Down. This is the equivalent to what Nigel Lawson did in 19. 88 with his budget. The top additional tax rate of 45% is going to be abolished completely and there'll be a single that applies over £150,000 if you're lucky enough to earn that much and the single higher rate of £40,000 will apply to all higher earners. That's going to drive a lot of headlines uh, tomorrow in the Chancellor's favour, which is what he would have wanted. And then in addition to that, there'll be a cut in the basic rate of income tax. That's for everybody. That's going down from 20% to 19% in April 2023. We need to focus on growth, not just how we tax and spend, said Chancellor Kwateng. But none of this will happen overnight. I think if we can just change the slide, that would be helpful. The Chancellor really is taking a gamble. As well as these measures, we've got investment zones coming in. We've got reform to IR35. That will help a lot of freelance contractors. This is a gamble. This is a roll of the dice. If the government can convince financial markets, particularly the currency markets, that this gamble on growth, this growth package works, it may be that they'll get away with it. All right, so that's the, that's the summary version. Um, that's probably enough for now. And uh, yeah, I think that's covered most of what what was uh, in the in the package this morning. I didn't see it all. I saw some of it, but it was mostly the end that I saw. So I shall uh, I shall investigate and do another show probably tomorrow. I'll do part of the Saturday show, maybe on this budget mini budget as it was built anyway that's enough for now thanks for listening